Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, your guide to the fundamentals of better deer hunting. And now, your host, Tony Peterson. Hey everyone, welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. Today's episode is all about staying in the deer hunting game during the middle of November. Remember that kid in high school who was a rock star in football or basketball in like fifth grade? but never really grew much beyond middle school, so eventually everyone passed him by. Peaking too early is a problem in sports, but also in deer hunting. It's easy to go all in on the rut in the first week of November, but an almost equally promising week is upon us now. But this is also the time when you might see a little transition happening, and it's really the time to keep your head in the game. This isn't as easy as it sounds, but it is important. It's also the topic of this whole show. There's a strange sinking feeling that can creep into us deer hunters about this time of the month. The days leading up to November and the first week, those suckers were all promise. Any second it was going to happen, and for a lot of lucky hunters, it did. But not you if you're listening to this probably, and that sucks. What sucks worse is that you can feel the old clock ticking away, taunting you. How many more days do you have left until lockdown sets in and the woods go from crazy? empty. Maybe none, depending on where you're listening to this. Now, it's not all doom and gloom. That buck that shacks up with his new lady friend for a day, she'll eventually have enough of him, and he'll have to go back on the deer version of Tinder to see if any other does are ready to swipe right. There's still plenty of rut to work with. It's just going to be a little different from the cruising and chase fest that you just had a few days ago. But before we get into that, though, ask yourself, Why am I still sitting on an unfilled buck tag? Have you had exciting hunts so far that just didn't come together with a good shot opportunity for some reason? Or if it did, did you just blow it? If you've been around plenty of deer and have witnessed an exciting amount of rut action, you're probably on the right path still. The spots that produced a few days ago, they'll probably still produce for the next week or so. But if you've had a kind of a disappointing rut hunt so far, then it might be time to reevaluate why. Did you spend most of your time sitting on a field edge over a buck decoy hoping to rattle one in from the neighbor's property? 
Or did you ride out all day sits in a stand you thought was positioned over a good funnel, only to see a couple dinks and does? What happened to your plan? As important as it is to develop a plan for the future, reflecting on the failure of the past, even the very, very, very recent past, is necessary, even if it's not much fun. How many times did you get busted? How many times did you walk in, get a little sloppy with the wind, thinking the rut was going to save you? We've all been led to believe the rut is the answer to all of our deer hunting problems, but it isn't. It certainly helps, and it sure makes it fun to sit in the woods, but it doesn't always make it easy. If we don't do enough to take advantage of it, the whole thing is usually a lost cause. Think about what went wrong and what to do with the remaining days of the rut that you can work with. This is important because shit is about to get a lot more difficult if this week doesn't go your way. And it'll really get difficult if you keep writing a dead program. Now you might be thinking, well, I've only got 20 acres to work with, so I do have to keep sitting in the same stands. That's the case for some folks. But I'll kindly refer you to a pile of earlier episodes where I begged and pleaded for you to find a new spot or two. And I'll say it again. We limit ourselves to ground because it's easy or it's all we think we need. But has this week proven that to be true for you? If it hasn't, when this deer hunt is in the rearview mirror, start the hunt for a new spot for next year. We'll get into that a lot in future episodes. Now, You don't have to be limited to a small property to ride a dead rut program either. The biggest mistake many of us make, which I mentioned in last week's episode, is that we don't think we need to go look for deer. We don't think we need to move during the rut. I'd say out of all the November bucks I've killed, all but a handful died after I made at least one move. Only a few died in easy spots or spots where I decided it was worth sitting for days and days and days and not moving. To make sure that dead program reality doesn't happen, think about what you did that didn't work and try also to think about what is going on out there. There's still plenty of chasing to be had as well as breeding. That's just a given. The days of seeing six bucks going nuts might be gone, but the days of putting in serious effort on a perfect funnel to have one good encounter, those are still alive and well. This is my strategy for this time of year. And it always involves the absolute most likely travel spots. Notice I didn't say spot. Burnout, wind, weather, and just the vibes of the woods all dictate that one funnel today might be the best choice, while tomorrow it won't be. And whether it's a pinch point, a funnel, a certain ridge near a doe bedding area, or just a really well-used fence crossing somewhere, I try to think about everything that will work in my favor and what the likelihood is that it's worth it to devote an entire dark-to-dark sit. To that spot. You see, some spots are still morning or evening spots. Now, some of those stand sites, they're only going to be good for the first few hours of the day or the last few hours of the day, while others can produce at any second of the day. Now, you could go sit a field edge or a food plot or that browse line along a fresh clear cut where the does like to go at some point in low light. All of these could produce, but they might not be the best options for all day sits. Now, you could go sit where three ravines meet, and there's only one small land bridge for most of the bucks to get from one side to the other. That's an all-day spot. A single sliver of timber that connects two larger woodlots? That's another one. River systems, which if you've listened to the earlier episodes of this podcast, you know I'm a ginormous fan of them. They are nature's funnels. Deer just like to travel along them, and they cross where the crossing is easiest or makes the most sense for their intentions. (laughs) Wherever you live. Even in swampy, unbroken timber, 
you can find rut travel routes that could and should produce all day long. In fact, one of my favorite November strategies is to post up in the middle of a figure eight of high ground in swampy territory where neck down movement is going to happen at some point. I'll explain this. So I'm going to offer up a pro tip for all of you big woods hunters out there in the northern or the southern fringes of the whitetail range. If you're hunting around spots with wetlands, use your onyx to look for a low ground shaped like a figure eight. The middle part of that eight, that's high ground, or I should say higher ground usually. The circles, they're the wetland. They're, they're the swamps that the deer don't want to cross. Now, rarely does nature offer up a perfect looking pattern of low and high ground to form an eight, but it often gets closer than you'd expect. I have found these spots in several states. And they can be dynamite locations for all-day sits because they force deer movement. And they allow for near-perfect wind setups, and they often offer the deer two types of habitat, which makes edges, which we know the deer like. In other words, with low deer densities and a lot of cover, this is the kind of spot that can really put you in deer when most of the woods seem empty. And I'll offer up another pro tip that has nothing to do with deer. These figure-eight spots in swamps, phenomenal places to bait bears. Because you can play the wind, you can predict travel routes, and you're around wetlands and swamps. So you know you're in a place where bears live. If you ever have a chance to do a DIY baited bear hunt, those spots can be money. All right, back to the thinking about developing a milk run of spots that force deer movement. Whether you've got one or ten, ask yourself, what does the wind do in these spots? You see, we often think about wind only in the context of not getting busted. This is good. And it's whitetail 101 stuff, but it's good. But it really sells the deer short. It sells the wind short. Bucks traveling during the rut are living off of their noses. They are efficient, ground-covering machines that only appear to be randomly traversing the countryside. This isn't random. They aren't random. They almost always travel with the wind in such a way that it allows them to scent-check specific areas while using their eyes to look ahead for does and danger. To frame this up, the wind might be perfect for you in a spot you want to hunt, but what is it doing for the bucks? Can they use it to scent check a certain flat or overgrown homestead for does? If they can, can you hunt there in a way where you won't get busted? This is one of the reasons that hunting bluffy or hilly terrain is generally easier than flat ground. Now, I say generally because there's a lot of variables out there, folks. But when you're in the hills, a buck can have a great wind for safety or finding does or both, while you can have nearly as great of a wind for your ridge top setup that won't allow him to smell you. In a flat swamp or in just flatter timber, the options for them to get behind you or use the wind in a way that you simply can't, it's much greater. This requires more thought and more planning and is one of the reasons why it's often more challenging. Now, there are some spots where this really doesn't matter. A really great pinch point like those swampy figure eights I just mentioned, they force movement no matter what the wind is doing. As long as the bucks are likely to want to get from point A to B, those routes are the ones they have to take. These are the best. They're my favorite spots, and they can be super productive. Oftentimes in non-swampy ground, they consist of a small patch of timber connected to a larger track, or two tracks of timber, I should say, and while bucks might pull a crazy move on you and sprint across a wide open field to get from one side to the other, most will stick to the cover fairly well, especially if you're hunting pressure deer. They're even more likely to do this 
than they were a week ago as the rut rages through and the hunting pressure gets to them. Because don't forget, even though the rut's awesome and it's burning really hot, everybody knows that. And your competition's out there sitting, harassing those deer as well. So you got to really think through your setups. Because honestly, time is kind of running out for a lot of hunters. I know it's different if you're way down south, but in much of the whitetail territory, clock is ticking. You don't want to go to a default stand right now simply because you think the rut will save you. This is a time when you can still have a crazy action-packed hunt, but can also sit all day and not see a deer. That last one, it's a real kick to the delicates, but it happens. And when it does, you'll find out what kind of a rut hunter you really are the next time your alarm goes off. Despite the fact that the rut is supposed to be awesome, it can be a real grind. This goes for all hunters, but is nearly a given if you're hunting pressure ground or low-density terrain. Big woods rut hunting can be a mental challenge, and I don't care if that happens in Michigan's UP or somewhere down in Louisiana in a month or two when those southern bucks are getting randy. It can even happen in great states like Iowa, where there are supposed to be booners hiding in every woodlot. There aren't, of course. And there are just days and scenarios that don't work for you very well when they are supposed to. This is when a midday mover just might save your butt and you had better be there to intercept him. I had one of these experiences the second time I drew an Iowa tag. My hunt was timed from like, I think November 6th through the 12th, somewhere in that range. The first few days were a bust, likely due to hot weather and a lot more hunting pressure than my hunting partner and I anticipated on the farm that we were hunting. With nothing to go on, he and I decided we better drop down into a valley with a small stream in it, figuring that was where the best cover was and the least likely chance to run into other bow hunters. We figured they would stay on top on the fields. Now, the first morning, I posted up in a spot where a steep creek bank met the hillside. This forced deer to either go up over the bank or drop down and cross. I was hoping they'd be adverse to getting their feet wet and they would come up on my side. As the woods woke up, a small six-pointer started chasing a doe all through the valley. They ran up and downstream. They ran up the sides of the bluffs. They made a ton of noise. They couldn't have made more noise if they tried. And I felt at any second they'd call in a big buck, but they didn't. Eventually, they ran off, and that scrapper lost his V-card to that doe right in front of my hunting partner. As the morning started to give way to the midday, it got warmer and more still, and started to feel way less likely that a deer was going to come in. For Iowa, it was a huge disappointment until I randomly looked up and just down the creek from me, I saw a rack bobbing my way. When he got to 20 yards, he busted me drawing, but it was too late. The buck, one of my biggest ever, even to this day, piled up 50 yards away and made me realize how much I had been considering heading in to take a nap and how little I had actually been paying attention. It's one thing to believe you'll be on your A-game throughout the entire rut. It's another to wake up for days in a row and then stay sharp on stand when the action is just gone. This is one of the things that separates the deer hunters from the deer killers. Now, everyone in either category believes they are diehard and will get up every morning and hunt every chance possible. But deer hunters often don't do that. Deer killers do. They keep going. And they keep hunting even when they are tired and ready to quit. Even when they're coming off two or three days of really, really dead action. They do this because they know it's worth it to be there in a spot they really believe in. It's also worth it to not give the lockdown much credit. Now I know 
when bucks hole up with the does, it can get pretty slow. But I always look at it like fishing. There are conditions where anglers will swear the walleyes, or the smallmouth, or the muskies, or whatever. They're just not biting. Sure, there might be a half day or maybe a full day where they just aren't too ambitious. But not a week. They have to eat. And they will eat. You just have to figure out when, where, and on what they will nom-nom away on. With deer during mid-November, they're going to rut. They have to. And that means that even though the experts are going to tell you there will be days with no activity, those bucks are still out there doing their thing. Even in low-density areas, if half of your bucks are locked up by the end of this week, that leaves at least one or two in your area, at least one or two, still looking. On good deer ground, that might mean six or seven bucks in your section are still out or more. And they're covering ground and putting themselves in a position to be shot, even if only one or two is actually the size that you're looking for. Now, all I'm saying here is it can start to really feel hopeless, but it's not. Stay out there. Keep hunting if you have the chance. That's all I'm saying. This is important, but only if you take this and keep grinding it out. And even as I say that, I cringe a little. The hunting industry has pushed this blood, sweat, and tears mentality on us as if we're storming the beach at Normandy or one lab experiment away from curing cancer in children. We're not. We're just hunting deer. So to be successful this week, we often just need to get out of our own way and realize that even a slow day in the woods with low odds is a hell of a lot better than most of the other stuff we could be doing. After all, you get to scroll through Instagram and check out how narcissistic your buddies are with their nonstop selfies get to drink some coffee, maybe read a book, watch nature do its thing. That's not a punishment, my friends. It's a gift. And it only gets better when you have those glimpses of action or those moments in the woods that make an entire season. There's still time for those, my friends. Decide if you need to make a real move right now or if your previous hunts portend solid action for the remainder of mid-November. Factor in the wind and how it works for you and how it'll work for the buck who wants to sniff some butts. Put in the time you have to put in, in spots that make the most sense for what should be happening with the deer right now. Forget the lockdown, forget the horror stories about dead ruts or bad timing of ruts, whatever. There's nothing you can do about that but to keep hunting. And remember, if it seems hopeless, it's not. There's time left for great hunting. And really, we are only starting to get into the land of hopelessness as a whitetail hunter. Believe me, it's going to get a hell of a lot worse. Now, we won't get there next week yet, but we will get a little closer. We will also get the chance to bring out the boomsticks and get revenge on all the deer we tried to kill with archery tackle but couldn't because they stayed out of range. That's the topic of next week's episode, so make sure you give it a listen. That's it for this show, my friends. I'm Tony Peterson, and this has been the Wired to Hunt Foundation's podcast. If you're looking for more whitetail advice, head on over to our Wired to Hunt YouTube channel, to see yours truly, Mark Kenyon, and a few other deer junkies giving how-to deer hunting advice. You can also visit themediator.com slash wired to read up on what's new in the whitetail world. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank, 
hunters and anglers rely on Seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.